0: Hi, everyone. This is part two of our CBE Denver podcast. Uh, If you didn't catch the first episode, uh, I'm in the room live with Reverend Sue Bailey and via Zoom remotely, Dr. Mimi Haddad. uh, Gotta love that technology that we live in. Uh, We're so glad that you guys are here. Thanks uh, for joining us and welcome back. Uh, You all are in for a treat. I'm going to just dive right back in to where we were talking about last week. Uh, we left off on this question of how is CBE Denver um, and CBE International helped to bring egalitarian advocacy worldwide? Uh, Dr. Haddad, if you wanted to jump in back where we were talking about.
1: Yes, I've, I have a few stories for you to illustrate the point I hope to make. Uh, you can really never know really truly your own language until you learn a second language mm-hmm. so that if you learn another language outside of your mother tongue it informs and enriches your grasp of your mother tongue we don't really know the egalitarian struggle until we see it through the eyes of other cultures and that brings such a depth and breadth to our power as a global community of egalitarians Absolutely. so i worked. I worked with um, World Vision International to help refine their channels of hope for gender curriculum. And they're amazing NGO leaders, but they're not theologians and that, uh, that focus entirely on gender. So that was the work that I did. And then it was field tested in Durban, South Africa, and a group of us went over to take a pulse on how that curriculum had an impact in these rural communities. Uh, So we visited with a young soccer player who in his community, it was considered extremely anti-masculine for men to carry water. In his community, only females carry water for cooking and cleaning. But he realized that when his sister had to carry water and do the cooking and cleaning for his family, she had almost no time to study and to succeed in high school. And he thought, you know, she's a lot smarter than I am. Maybe I should carry the water and give her a few hours. Uh, to study. And of course, carrying water at night can be very dangerous for girls and women. So he did that. And this guy was just, I mean, he just lit up the room when he came in. I mean, he was one of these guys that just, you just, his inner energy was so charismatic. You could not help but fall in love with this young man. And he was so... He was such a fantastic soccer player that when he started carrying water, guess what happened? Oh my goodness! What happened? All the other guys in his team started carrying water.
0: Of course, it was a trickle, a trickle. Once was you have it, trickle effect. No pun yeah. intended.
1: And 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 this was the result of him coming to see that God loves women and values women and girls as much as men. So in many cultures around the world, men have what they call a Simba, which is a little like clay hut where they come home from work and do their homework. And women go, girls go straight into the kitchen and they often have their bed there. And so this egalitarian training that we've done around the world has had an immediate impact in the lives of girls being able to study hard and stay in school.
0: Yeah. And I want to right. hone in on this point of what you've talked about in the story too of there were men, men was helping to make a difference with this too. It was men and women together working mm-hmm. to help provide mm-hmm. more opportunities. Like how incredible is that? A brother
1: who loves his sister and recognizes God's call in her life. Mm-hmm. That it was that familial love between brother and sister, which when it really, I mean, you've seen that in life. You've seen it in life, right? And it's so beautiful. Um and then we went uh our our very close partners are in Kenya. I I was tweeting a couple of days ago about Emily Yanga, who is the first woman bishop in the Anglican church in Kenya. And she's been a close partner with CBE for years. She's was a keynote speaker at our conference in Houston two summers ago, and she's just a phenomenal, very soft-spoken, articulate genius. And I knew for years that the Church of England needed a female bishop and they they had her as a, a candidate. And I'm just so thrilled that she, her bishop calling went forward. Um, so one of our partners in, in Kenya uh, ended up, was invited to go into the DRC and do training on biblical gender equality. So uh, he made the three-day bus trip uh, in which the bus inevitably ended up high strung in p- uh, pools of mud. He eventually made it to um, a little town outside Rwanda, across the Rwandan border, and he worked with an American uh, NGO that supports male headship in uh, the DRC. Now, the DRC is the rape capital of the world. I can't even tell you how many hundreds of thousands of females have been raped. And when they become Christians and re enter uh, the workforce and, and attempt to go back to church, they're so easily triggered that the Christians in this NGO thought we've got to have some gender training. Um, in, in our work. So they brought our partners from Kenya all the way over to do this training. And then about four months and he did, and it was incredibly impactful and it made huge inroads into successfully reenter women's re-entry into work and faith life. And when my colleague Dominic returned to Kenya. He invited those leaders to his conference on biblical gender equality in Kenya. And I was there speaking. My husband and I have a Kenyan goddaughter, and we were there um, for, to see her as well. And as I was sitting outside in this, in this, in the hot sun eating my lunch, this African Christian NGO leader sat down and said, you have no idea the impact of these teachings in our community where rape is so prominent. One year later, I'm working with a collection of NGO leaders in the United States and the vice president of that nonprofit came up to me and said, I was doing a series of lectures on the impact of gender equality worldwide, and he came up to me and said, although our NGO is run by very staunch complementarians, I'm a VP here, and I will do my utmost to see that we can advance this curriculum, because I have seen the impact Mm -hmm. of it. Wow. So You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) You just cannot make it up. And I remember my goddaughter was dancing in the sun while he was telling me this story, and I just thought, look at her dance. She's so free. She doesn't understand what this world means to girls and what it can mean to girls and women, but I'm watching her dance in the sun with beads in her hair and her birthday dress on, and she's eating cake, and I thought, I wonder if this is God saying, I want all my daughters to dance like this Mm -hmm. without fear, with joy, being who they've been called to be.
0: Yeah. What a beautiful imagery of just hope. And Mm -hmm. wow, that's incredible. Not many people can have that kind of story, but I mean, this is reality. This is,
1: that's crazy. So we worked with World Relief in Lebanon and my family is from Lebanon. I'm first generation Lebanese in the United States. Uh, And we were part of a collective of Christian NGO leaders in the Middle East. As you know, Syrian Lebanon has absorbed hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees who crossed over the mountains at great peril to escape um, ISIS and ISIL, and their treatment of girls and women especially, and just their brutality. So. Um, the Syrians had crossed the mountains decades ago and were involved in a brutal civil war in which they were raping and pillaging the Lebanese. Now they've been raped and pillaged and they're seeking refuge in Lebanon. And the Christians have opened, many Christians have ministries have opened their hearts and homes. There's so many great good work there. And I was called over to do t- training on gender equality because of the marginalization and exploitation of girls and women. and I was shaking in my boots because I know that culture pretty well and the power dynamics are pretty steep. And I had just gone to church with my Auntie Mona and she's part of a Southern Baptist church in Beirut. Now, during the civil war in which the Syrians had crossed the mountains and come into Lebanon and there was horrible conflict, girls and women were were um, kidnapped. And my Auntie Mona, who was president of the YWCA, Women's Christian youth organization in Beirut. She was the unofficial mayor of Beirut. She was your go-to person if you needed a solution. But when she goes into her church on a Sunday morning, uh, she, she works very hard at pulling in all that leadership because it's just simply not valued as a Christian attribute for girls and women. Even though her community knows well and my family knows well that it needed something she could make it happen. Now, when my husband and I visited um, together, just doing family things, not work things, every single morning we would wake up and there was a taxi cab, all the food, everything ready to go and off we would go and visit and see things. She is an organizational genius. But none of that was welcomed in her church. And so I brought over some of our resources translated into Arabic. Janet, George, in fact, with your chapter has written a book called Still Side by Side Mm -hmm. on our website for free in over 30 languages. I brought those books in Arabic and handed them out in Lebanon and other countries in the Middle East. And they're just like consumed by women. And I took a batch of them to Amsterdam last year where Arab women were over with others Working on supporting women worldwide, and just like in the Middle East, they just take that book and they read it. Nothing else exists but that book, wow. and I—that's an example of the hunger. So if you want if you want to sponsor a roadshow, if you want to put on a roadshow, God will sponsor. That's it.
2: That's it. So Mimi, are you talking about uh, Janet George's uh, book, Still Side by Side? Yes. Okay. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's, she actually, it's been
1: translated into over thirty languages,
2: and th- it's just unsinkable. So I her book is actually the book of the that swamp. we use in our table talks, or in in at the Denver Seminary um, campus. I mentioned our table talks and the podcast last time. Uh, mm-hmm. Just t- we get together and talk about things, but she just pretty much lays out very, you know, succinctly uh, mm-hmm. scripture passages having to do with um, Mutuality or Biblical Equality, and uh, just a small but very powerful book. So that's, I just wanted to confirm that that's what you used.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really good to hear, Sue, that her book has an equal impact, you know, in tables where half a mile from
2: where she lives. It does. You know, it's just, um, I mean, you can expound on all of the passages, but it's just very, uh, you know, she just lays it out very clearly. Starting with Genesis and then going through some of the other deliberated, I should say deliberated, but, uh, you know, passages, mm-hmm. those that, you know, are usually used in exegetical ping pong. Uh, oh, we'll talk about yeah, those. yeah, great
1: phrase. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to get some of this on Christian radio in the Middle East, in Arabic, um, and see how, how we can make that happen going forward. Um. God, God is opening doors, and you know um, there's stories about uh, people from Aleppo coming across the mountains into Lebanon for refuge, and they become they be- they're becoming you know they come to faith in that process. And just the stories you hear are miraculous. None of them are abandoning their culture or their family. They were obviously very involved, but God is God is moving in profound ways all over the world. Those are just two examples. Are a couple examples of um, the type of thing I've seen. We, we were in uh, two, three years ago in Finland. Now, why Finland? Why? I mean, Finland's noted for its extreme egalitarian culture. It's noted for this great educa- public education. Uh, women hold high office. Why in the world would they? Would our chapter in Finland ask CBE to come and help them? Well. Believe it or not, progressive as they are, uh, the abuse rates in Finland are second highest in Europe. Denmark, I believe, holds first place. And so we met monthly on Zoom to work out the details of this conference in Finland. Um, It was so sweet. Uh, The parents of one of our chapter leaders baked all the food for the conference to keep the cost down. She would come in with hot, hot, hot soup for lunch. And I'm like, it's summertime. And she said, yes, but it's Finland and it's kind of cold. <laughs> so, so we had, everybody's family was involved and oh, we had some great speakers. And there was a, a radio show host who came to listen, like, what are these Christians doing? And we had our book translated into Finnish. Uh, And the radio host was so, he saw the potential of this message impacting the rates of um, violence in the home. And one of the reasons why there's so much violence in Finland is because they're putting pressure on young couples to have lots of children so that they can have the workforce they need. They don't want to open their borders too much to people outside of Finland to bring in the workers they need. So they've got to make the workers themselves. Through having children, and this places a lot of pressure on young families. So um, after the conference was over, some of the key speakers stayed on another couple days and went did their lecture all over again for public radio.
2: Wow! So when you're when you're talking (laughs) again, you just
1: can't dream this up.
2: (laughs) You talk about pressure in the family. So I mean, I and this may get too dicey to talk about, but honestly, so you're saying these couples are married, but they are. There's pressure on the woman to literally have one child after another and not be able to actually decide with her husband when and, you know, what, what does that look like?
1: Well, I think there's economic pressure on them. Like there was in China when they had the one child policy, now that they, they have, they've abandoned that, but there's just, there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's again, a couple's decision and it places undue pressure on women, right. Correct. On women. So so then there's another story, if I can hop over to Colombia Now, when I went to get my global entry card, the officer interviewing me said, why are you going to these countries? <laughs> I, I was, he looked down my list, he said, we don't like it when Americans go to this country or that country and this country. And it's like, well, and he said, why are you doing that? And I said, oh, because of the gospel. He goes, oh, you're just like my mom. <laughs> And now why Colombia? We had a wonderful partner at the Fiducian Presbyterian Seminary there, but the wider culture places extreme emphasis on women's physical beauty, and Brazil is just as bad. So uh, the idea that women have to be all the things that they're called to be by Jesus, and then to please their husband, they have to be these astonishing creatures of gorgeous beauty— It's just unbearable. So we were giving these workshops and through conversations I started to realize so many of the women there had been abused because they were not considered beautiful enough. Wow. Um, That is so disheartening. Just a cultural (laughs) event that was very challenging for that community. We have our own challenges here. So. because of these experiences, um, we've worked again to translate resources into mother tongue languages where we go. And uh, this, um, all this work that we do around the world is costs about a million dollars. <laughs> and I mean, some years we get that type of income and other years we don't. But we found that in COVID people were wildly generous and the foundations we worked with went over and above. Uh, The call of duty to make sure that CBE stayed afloat, particularly on projects that, like our Bible translation project, which we haven't discussed, but that's a really key project that's been funded by a family foundation. And it's into its third year. We've isolated or identified 300 passages, it grows all the time, of uh, poorly, poorly translated scripture into English, uh, makes it possible for people to demean women. And a hundred years ago, Catherine Bushnell and her team, working with the Women's Christian Temperance Union, worked carefully on these passages in her book, God's Word to Women. She works, she identifies these passages, their cultural context, their linguistic analysis, um, very carefully, but nothing's really changed. I mean, we still can't seem to get it together to translate authentic as domineer and abuse, when in fact that's what was used in Paul's day. We still can't do that. Now we have a nice little footnote in the the recent NIV translation, but Kate Bushnell over 100 years ago said, this is why we have trouble with women's exploitation, because we allow the Bible in our modern English translations to reflect something the original text did not. And so our team gets together, um, I think every month, the New Testament team and the Old Testament team, they were there in Houston talking about their work. It was probably the most powerful lecture we had in Houston, one of the most powerful. And they'll come again and meet in England to talk about how much progress they've made. The team is international. We have scholars from Africa, India, and the U.S., and and elsewhere. It's been an incredibly rich uh, engagement, and I hope
2: that the fruit of this project will be the realization of the dream of the early evangelicals. Sue, what do you think? You know, I was just, I think it's amazing that you're talking, I mean, you're talking about how we read the Bible and all the various translations and how we just get stuck and we read it and we just take it just, you know what it says on the plain page. So, you know, even those that are listening that aren't really into the Greek and the Hebrew and all that kind of thing, because, you know, I can get excited about what you're talking about. But, I, you know, you want to be able to pick up the Word of God and think this is what it says and, and what it means. But some of the things that you're discussing, you know, the cultural and the historical are so essential, you know, to set the stage and say, all right, why was Paul saying this? And what was going on in Ephesus? And, you know, all those kind of things. And I and I think most good churches do that. And yet, unfortunately, um, some of the ways that the, that the words, you mentioned authentine, I mean, it's like the King James Version, right? They, it actually does it correctly. Yeah. You know, so, but then others that one would trust for me, you know, that are just, I don't ring, read the King James myself. So, you know, what I would want to be able to trust, um, just these words are, Um, You know, they get stuck in your brain. So if it says something like submit, and you think, okay, submit means this. And every time I read it, I think I have to go back in and reconsider and set set the frame of my mind. What was the cultural setting and what was going on? So I'm just encouraging our listeners to spend the time when they read the Word of God and really think about what was going on. You know, set the stage or wherever they are reading in to know to know what was really going on then um, and look at the larger context. And um, that's just, it's just huge. And, and, you know, it's not that hard to pick up Greek. And we've
1: got a Greek study group right now that meets every Friday of the month. And they're online and they're honing each other's Greek skills. It's getting kind of full. So we might have to start a second group but they are committed to engaging across denominational and gender views to try to understand, you know, where we've gone off track. Taylor, what is your thought?
0: Yeah, well, I'm loving all this conversation. And I love how even you've talked about like your, um, how your international experience is not only affecting things internationally, but here also in the U.S. And so I wanted to ask you our next question Where have you made the most progress in the U.S. churches and why?
1: Yeah, okay. So I think that we have definitely reached a tipping point in saturating Christian and evangelical communities um, with egalitarian resources for critical thought. Uh, We um, open this conversation as much as possible. um, And fortunately, we've had the support of some really great publishing houses some great writers and thinkers. The web has been just instrumental uh, in compensating for entrenched denominations, pastors and institutions. God has blessed the egalitarian community with some amazing resources like these. And there's just, we have energetic leadership running our local chapters that start these conversations at a grassroots level, like y'all. And, and you can see this reform movement in the church take place in the U.S. and abroad. Um, our funders and board members have done incredible work keeping CB on mission. And and this, the logic and biblical, biblical cohesive, cohesiveness of our message um, has become very compelling. Now, I do... So I can tell you that um, those who remain entrenched in the complementarian position have lots of years of publishing behind them. That's kind of hard when your whole life you've published resources against opposing complement egalitarian the- theology. But I have actually, now this isn't true for everyone, but I have noticed a, an astonishing number of complementarians when you really press them and you say, what? have you read that you really object to in the writings of egalitarians? A lot of them have read like two articles. Mm. I mean, it's a little, I mean, cause we all started out as complementarians, right? And we, we were in this material and we swam around trying to figure out why does this seem so wrong? What's this doesn't fit. You know, it's like, it's like the math doesn't come out right and it doesn't balance to zero and you start reading other things and then it's the equations start to balance a little bit more and things pull together. But I've been astonished at how confident uh, complementarians have been in their position and how, um, yeah. Taylor? I was going to ask too. So
0: when you hear, hear from these complementarians that you're talking to and you hear only like two articles they've read for resources. Um, What is your response to these kind of scenarios and how would you encourage um, people that have these responses moving forward?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it took me years to sort of recover from the sticker shock of it all. Um,
0: Yeah, I can only imagine.
1: But but I tell them the story about Charles Malik who was a well-known Lebanese diplomat and theologian. And he was part of the UN's efforts on human rights around the world. He was well known to my family in Lebanon. And he, every time he mentioned the word of Jesus, he would start to cry. He just loved Jesus, loved him, uh, Orthodox Christian. And when the Billy Graham Center was established in Wheaton, he was keynote speaker and he told the, the people in the audience. And it was kind of embarrassing, you know, because in Arabic, there's very, Arabic is a very passionate language. So Arabs, if they're not engaged passionately with you, you've got to really question the relationship. And so he gets in there and he goes, you have lost the life of the mind. Evangelicals, you have all this confidence and it's not, it's not credible. You've lost your place in the sciences. You've lost your place in the arts. And in the front row was a guy named Mark Knoll. And he went home and wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. Mm. And I find a way of getting that content into the hands of people who seem unwilling to get, engage both sides of an argument. All of us in this on this podcast, I'm guessing, knew the complementarian position pretty well. Sure. And, and we did some swimming to find coherence that was lacking in that position, but the dominant culture, and I'm talking about white males now have no reason to swim out, but they do, they do have reason and a great need and it's called the credibility of our faith. And so the, the, the manuscript from Charles Malik is available online. You can hear him in the YouTube on his lecture. He was very careful and clear to say, Do not, God is not mocked. God will not be mocked. You, you sow what you reap. And my grandmother in Lebanon said that all the time God will not be mocked. You sow what you reap. Or do you re you so, I think it's the other way. But you get what I'm saying. And so that book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind prompted many other scandals, mm. books about you know, the scandal of evangelical politics and on and on and on. So it's just, it's, it's thought provoking. And this wonderful scholar at Baylor University called Alan Jacobs has a fabulous video out that I'm asking people in our staff to watch about how do you have a dignified conversation amid these great divides? And Alan Jacobs said, there's all people think in these communities. And I talked to Sue about this on the phone a couple of nights ago. Every person thinks beside other people, right? That's come, let us sharp iron sharpens iron. iron." The Bible says come let us reason together, We don't, think in a silo, are we do, sadly, but not in isolation. And Alan Jacobs is saying there's essentially two kinds of conversations that go on in this world. In-group conversations where we belittle, demean, and scandalize our opponents. And there's thinking conversations and civil conversations where we allow people the dignity of another opinion. Taylor? Sue, I think you were going to say something, so.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I. I I interrupted you, I just, that analogy of there's no reason to swim outside, um, I think that's just powerful, Um, but yeah, I did listen to the, um, to his, to Alan Jacobs' video the other evening, and it was um, just really well done, so I want to urge our listeners to, uh, they can find that online, YouTube, and listen to him.
1: Well, what did you like about him?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I, one of the things, it's just, just kind of reiterating, going through. I mean, he was he had done some research, so he wasn't just giving his viewpoint that this is the way humanity functions. He was backing it up um, in the social sciences and with research. And you know, just to piggyback on that. I mean, it, for all of us, we replay things in our mind, and the more we do, uh, we create these crevasses, right? Just you know, uh, about what we believe or. Uh, what we think, and um, whether that's self-talk or other things that we've heard in the environments that we're in, and you know, change is a is a tough thing. So you know, have to, as you said, you have to in- intentionally go to these places where you sit with those who have a differing view, in order to learn, in order to really listen, and not just prepare to defend. And uh, the dialogue that you're talking about really necessitates you come with a certain posture and we don't do that very well you know and I don't know that we're taught to do that very well so that's that's certainly a passion of mine that I you know am pursuing at this point having that kind of dialogue because when I said the term um on our other uh podcast the first one about exegetical ping pong uh, that we play, I, I, you know, that's what I envision. You know, we go back and forth and back and forth with things um, with these certain scripts, and, um, you know, we need to have ears to hear and uh, reason together, as you said. Come, let us reason together. And really, as you say, you know, when NGOs go around the world
1: and intentionally are attentive to communities where they work and live, I mean, the research coming from the NGO world is just daunting, right? Women's equality is the strongest lever of social change for the good. Yeah. There's just no way around it. I mean, the second you start investing in the lives of girls and women, local economies go up and bad things go away. Mm-hmm. You know, you give men uh, income for micro industries and they spend it on alcohol, drugs, and gambling. More often than when you give it to women, they invest it in their communities and the, and the growth of their communities.
2: I am, you know, wanting to reiterate, though, I think it's very important that people hear this because it's not anti-men whatsoever. This is a call equality. We need each other. That's the way that God designed us. So we're not going into a woman-dominant society like what was happening in Artemis. I mean, that that's in Ephesus. That's not the point. The point is that brothers and sisters need each other, and you know the the whole idea with mutuality is that you know it's it's he our amazing God has gifted both of us, both differentiated genders, and we are different, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, but both to use our gifts for His glory and purposes, and so you know. I just, it's important that people hear that, that we're not in any way anti-men. No, I love men. No, but I it know, will be a be, long, men are great. in some places, the
1: <laughs> climb to equality will be
2: yeah.
1: a long one. Yeah. Taylor? Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, I want to continue on with this theme of encouragement. And for time's sake, I'm just going to ask one more question. Uh, Dr. Haddad, what can all of us do in remaining faithful to scripture while advancing our mission given world events, especially in the U.S. churches?
1: Well, know your Bibles really well and and take a step to learn a couple of passages in the original Greek, join our Greek conversation circles. Um, I think really, like Sue said earlier, sit with people who disagree with you. You know, don't be involved in a single story. Uh, reflect. Um, really open yourself up to God. I, re, I mean, anytime you do that, you run the risk of some huge shifts. But failing to do that is a far greater risk to our spiritual and intellectual and emotional lives. I think um, keep up with some really good resources. Get involved in communities that think differently than you do. Uh, join a CBE chapter, become, befriend people who think differently than you. A friend of mine is, is publishing an article in Priscilla Papers, our academic journal in a couple of um, months on how to midwife a racist. <laughs> and it's just, he's a brilliant lawyer and such a gifted thinker. And he talks about the need to always be involved in communities that really differ with you uh, not only for the sake of just your own intellectual engagement, but to be there for people who may want, you know, to get out of it. Um, yeah, be willing um, to be used by God in small and large ways, and um, you know, never be satisfied with the fact that you've you've kind of arrived, that you've settled in. There might be other things for you to think about. So I like to have about six or seven books that I'm reading all at the same time. They're scattered all over the house. My husband's convinced that one day I'm going to be walking through the night to get a glass of water and trip over some of them. and It'll be be bad because there's stacks everywhere and it's one of my greatest um, delights, but it's, it can be annoying to everyone else in the house. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm just, I'm so in love with, you know, every couple of years I just, I follow, I mean, I'm passionately in love with Fleming Rutledge and her many challenges. I love this guy, Alan Jacobs and the things that he's doing. I've picked up um, this book on Cass by um, Wilkinson um, and other books, you know, that CBE reads and reviews over a number of weeks, each week, each month. So anyway... Those are my thoughts. No,
0: I and I, I appreciate your thoughts so much. Um, one, for that open-handed approach to always be learning. I think no matter where we're at, if we lose sight of that, that's when progress stops. Um, and that's because we we do still have so much work to do, not only in our personal lives, but culturally as well in the U.S. and worldwide of how can we be learning and engaging um And having that posture so progression can move forward. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you so much. It has just been so awesome to talk with you today. I know Sue and I both have just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We hope that you guys too that are listening in have just learned so much and have uh, enjoyed hearing the stories from Dr. Haddad. Um, Thank you for joining us again. um, Would you mind praying for... uh, for this
1: time and everyone listening as well. Thank you, Lord Christ, for your revelation to us in Scripture, in um, just the way in which you show up in these conversations, the way that you lead and guide us um, in our even in our dreams. And we pray, Lord, for the good work that um, is done by CBE chapters and Christians around the world. We pray that the gospel would, will advance and woo people to your Son and to the cross. And Lord, we long to give you glory in all that we do. And we just pray that we may humbly follow you and serve one another. And that we give you thanks that you are able to do more in us than we could dream or imagine possible. And thanks for this time and bless blessed and always in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Mimi. Yes, thank you. Thanks, everyone. It was great. If you want more information about CBE Denver or would like to engage in further dialogue about the topics that we've discussed here today or even future topics that we will be discussing, please check out our website at cbedenver.com or visit us at Facebook or Instagram for more information wherever you may be, driving to work, hitting the gym, cooking at home, any of the things. Thanks for joining us and remember to stay mutuality minded. Until next time.